Grow stories, life lessons, turning points, service to others, truth, no bullshit, adding value, no smoke and mirrors, being the pressure, third down and 10, win or learn, always the underdog with a chip on your shoulder. These are the things that I think about when I talk to this group. From service academy fleet leaders, NFL players, NASCAR drivers, tech gurus, private equity, small business, big business, to the entrepreneurs making the way of the future. Winning at all costs with uncompromised integrity, paying the price of admission. Let's go. All right. So today we got a, a guy who was born with the name of Jeff Fair, but I think he's always been you know, known for and gone by Doc Fair, a single word living in Arnold, Maryland, just outside of Annapolis, hit high school in uh, Annandale, Virginia, raised in a military family, father was a West Point grad, uh, went on to earn a bachelor's degree from Kent State, master's from the University of North Dakota, and doctorate in education at Oklahoma State University. Now retired uh, sports medicine trainer spanning four decades, uh, first job. 25-year stint at Oklahoma State, uh, followed by an 18-year tenure at uh, the United States Naval Academy. Fun fact, uh, he was made the honorary member and honorary member of the USNA class of 2015. So that's pretty cool. Um, hobbies, making bowls with a wood lathe. Uh, he has a passion for creating things with his hands. Also serves as a chairman of the Lions Youth Foundation. Um and you've got a Wikipedia page, your youngest son put together. I took a look. It's pretty cool. Uh, and you've got a patent on three things. I know of one. We've talked about it on here before, but there's two other things. What were those two things? Well, the cowboy collar was probably the most famous thing. Uh, the other thing was called a sprained ankle orthosis. Okay. Basically, what it was was a heel cup with a, a, a lateral heel wedge. And the reason I came up with it is that if you're from Oklahoma, you'd be familiar with the Smith brothers. The Smith brothers were three very famous wrestlers. John Smith was like an Olympic champion, and Pat Smith, his one younger brother, was a four-time NCAA champion. Before he went to the NCAA championship, trying to win his fourth championship, he sprained his ankle. And you've been on wrestling mats before, and you know when you step down, your ankle just kind of wobbles anyway. So we work like crazy to try to get that ankle well, and I made this uh, heel cup for him to put in his wrestling shoe. And it worked pretty well. He went on to win his, his fourth NCAA championship. Nice. And I took it to a, uh, a company that made things for athletic training room called Kramer's. And they made a mold for it and, and sold it for several years. Nice. What was the other one? There's a third it one. Worked well, for the midshipmen because it's something they could stick in their shoe and go to class with. Yeah, no doubt. Did you have a third one? The third one was the anchor shoulder harness. Anchor. The anchor was named after, of course, in the Navy. It was something I came up with there at the academy. And it was a, a harness to limit the range of motion of the shoulder for people who have subluxed or dislocated their shoulder. Gotcha. Yeah, I bet you Matt, Matt probably, Nishak probably wore that one. Uh, maybe Tedwell, too. Uh, yeah, I should have patented the uh, Bobby McLaren uh, club. And, and <laughs> you remember that. Yeah, the, that Air Force goal line yeah. stand that made ESPN. 
The story behind that, he broke two bones in his hands, and he wanted to play so bad, and the Air Force game was coming up. And Bobby was just tough as nails. I, I talked to the doctor. I said, if I can come up with something protective, can he play it? The doctor said he could. So I was taking a shower, getting ready to go into work, and all of a sudden it hit me. We had a boxing team, and they had a lot of boxing gloves. So I went over, I went over and got a pair of boxing gloves, tied his wrist into it so they couldn't bottom out. So he always had about that much air in front of his hand. Nice. The only problem was it was pretty big. And yeah. before the ball game, the officials always come in and they ask you, do you have any casts or pads or anything you want Something to hard. And I said, well, I got one. I brought him in. And the guy sits there and feels it. And he goes, well, I guess that's okay. So we nice. go out and play the game. And uh, we come down right to the end of the ball game. And Air Force has got the ball. And they throw this long pass. And you know the big screen we've got up at the end zone. And out of the screen, you see the ball flying in there. And all of a sudden, this big old boxing glove sticks up and knocks the ball down. The crowd goes crazy. I look over at the head coach at Air Force. He's going nuts. I think it's the first time. He's got an extension. And all of a sudden, somebody grabs me by the neck, and it's Chuck Gladchuck, and he says, Jeff, you just earned your salary this year. (laughs) Nice. Good stuff. All right, let's roll into some memories. Uh, First one, Ian Meredith. He said, I got to bring up and I had the same question. Um, Got to bring up the ice and stem remedy for literally every injury. Ice and stem it, baby. Well, back in the day, it, you know, they were used to argue, argue about putting ice or heat on injuries. And they came up with this uh, using electrical stimulation to speed up the healing. And I remember getting one at Oklahoma State. I think I traded some football tickets for it. And uh, it worked great, especially on muscles. It was great as far as relaxing muscle spasms sometimes. And I think the first time I saw it used when I was with the Cleveland Browns. And uh, through the research and stuff they did on it is that it changed the variability of the cell wall to transmit uh, fluids and reduce edema. And uh, the nice thing about it was, too, it wasn't it didn't take an athletic trainer standing right there to take care of the athlete. You could examine him, set him up, treat him while I take care of two or three other people. And uh, especially the Navy Academy, Naval Academy, that came in pretty handy where you might be treating 20, maybe 25 guys at one time. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. Good stuff. Uh, Curtis Bass, kind of a goofer, uh, he said, uh, ask him why that they never told me my foot was fractured. <laughs> that it was just a bone bruise. <laughs> you remember that? Tony, I, I've gone back, especially to like uh, the Brotherhood tailgate and stuff like that. And I have people come up to me and said, do you remember when I played with a broken leg? And I go, no. <laughs> well, it, it's a possibility that Curtis had a, a stress fracture in his foot. Stress fractures don't always show up. I got you. If, if he had a stress fracture, it probably didn't show up on the first couple of x-rays. Yeah, perfect perfect segue to the next one from Cameron Marshall. He said, why did your daily routine consist of hazing guys with legit injuries? Or was that just a PJ thing? <laughs> the thing about the training room, you, you tried to make it kind of on the light side. 
because you always felt bad for the guys that are hurt because it's it being hurt was almost like having leprosy. You were yeah. almost excluded from the team. And I felt like it was part of my job to make sure that the injured athlete understood that he was still part of the team. He was going to get well and try to be positive about it. And I gotcha. tried to do it with a good sense of humor. Yeah. And sometimes that, that makes sense. Too. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Cliff Duman, uh, a recent guest. He said, awesome, great guy, all in. Uh, that you come up with super creative braces, pads to get guys out on the field. Uh, creator of the co- cowboy collar, of course. Uh, always had a towel around your neck uh, and had a candy bar at halftime or a few candy bars at halftime. Um, funny, He said, funny story from the poinsettia bowl. And we thought the nightly meetings were over, that you took all the leftover candy bars from for game day. But the problem was offense wasn't done yet. And Ken came out there, Coach Ken, looking for peanut butter cups, and they were all gone. Always try to save a peanut butter cup for Coach Ken. What I I did with the – we got the candy bars from King Hall. And and King Hall was – there were several things that I had trouble dealing with working at the Naval Academy. One was military medicine, and two was King Hall. You guys were always starving to death. And it always seemed like I had trouble, you know, getting things from there. So that's why I collected the candy bars in case we weren't going to get them the following week. I never knew for sure. Gotcha. Bit of a, a logistician. Yeah, I was going to repurpose them. Gotcha. Tell you a great story is we we would practice on Saturdays, and coach would have me talk with the team and say what time the training was open. And I would say, we'll have a continental breakfast for you in the locker room. So one day he looks over to me and says out loud, Dr. Fair, what's a continental breakfast? I said, Coach, it's whatever King Hall sends us. Gotcha. Whatever's in the closet. Whatever they got left over over there. Awesome. All right, a couple more. Uh, Kevin Campbell, um, what's the full story on the cowboy collar? We go ahead and go into that right now. You know, you developed this thing. I mean, what's the story on it, the reason, the development process? When I was Oklahoma State, we had a lot of guys that had brachial plexus injuries, and that's the nerve that runs down the neck, down into the shoulder. And, Did you hear my uh, neck crack right there? <laughs> that's right. And well, you've probably got some bone spurs in your neck. But anyway. I'm sure. And back then, we didn't have really good strength coaches. If we had anybody, it was somebody that just kind of worked out and helped with the team a little bit. And they really haven't hadn't gotten into building up the neck and working on the weight room. So the thing that they had available was they looked like horseshoes. You remember the thing looks like a yep. called a horse collar. And what I noticed was if you ever try to pull a nail out of a piece of wood and you can't get the hammer to go, so what you do is you stick a piece of wood under the hammer and it increases the the uh, the angle of pull and you can pull out the nail. That's what I noticed about those horseshoe collars is the head would go to the side and it would be there and you would go up over the top of it and you would stretch the neck even worse on the other side. So not only did it not protect it, it made it worse. So I looked at the natural curvature of the spine and how the football helmet set on the head. So I made something that would actually cradle the helmet and, and imitate the curve of the spine. And I had to come up with the right materials. That was always a problem. And I got a company out of, uh, oh, where were they located? Their name was McDavid. They were two brothers. 
And I got them interested in it. And they helped me with the materials. And together, we worked and designed this thing. And I had a uh, had an intern at the time from Ohio State, a good friend of mine. And he said, Jeff, he says, you know, if you ever sell a lot of those things, you'll probably get a free backboard with a dozen. <laughs> Intimating that it wasn't going to work. But it, the thing was, is there's two things about the cowboy collar. One, it looked cool. Everybody wanted to look cool. Okay. Two, sure. it actually worked. I took the final uh, prototype and put it on one of my uh, linebackers. And I went out to practice, and I watched him go through, through the defensive tackling drills. And he went to the third station, hit the guy head on, fell to the ground. And I'm watching him make sure he get up. He jumped up, turned around, and ran all the way across the field to me. And he says, this thing works. Nice. I knew I had something going on that. Cool. Very cool. One, last story, one last story on that. Yeah, go for it. We're, we're playing in the uh, Holiday Bowl. Barry Sanders is running all over the place, and we put out their best running back in the first quarter. Okay? And, you know, there's always a sideline girl, and they're always really cute. And they always check with the trainer because when they check with them, when the, there's somebody that's hurt. So I'm kind of flirting with her, and I'm talking to her, and somebody says something about the cowboy collar, and I show her one. She said, I would love to do a segment on the cowboy collar on the sideline. So I'll, I'll give you the high sign, and then we'll have you on the air. You know, holiday bowl, it's a big, big, big-time bowl. Nice, yeah. Sell it, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going, this is great. So every time we get ready to shoot it, Barry Sanders scores. He scored five times in that ball game, and it never got on air. Ah oh, man, bummer. Well, maybe if uh, well nowadays they'd probably clip it into a YouTube thing and you could probably. share the heck out of it, right? Uh, cool. Last one talking about Oklahoma State. Craig Carter. So another previous guest, uh, Oklahoma State baller from the early, you know early seventies, and his son, one of my peers um, at Navy football. Uh, he said, "Ask Doc Fair about the time when the OS when OSU was playing ISU. I'm guessing Iowa State, and uh, the and an OSU player came off the bench to tackle an ISU quarterback. We we went to Ames, Iowa, and it's always it's always a crummy place to play, and it's always seemed like in November it was cold. But this was their old football. What do you master if it was grass and it was muddy?" And our head football coach, coach was named Jim Stanley. He paid, played for Bear Bryant at uh, a worldly coach before Alabama. Uh, A&M, I think. Anyway, he was one of Bear Bryant's players and just tough as nails. This guy was, I'll tell you what, he was tough. And uh, so he's walking up down the sideline and Bum Phillips, I don't know if you're familiar with Bum Phillips, but he, he was the defense coordinator. Bum Phillips was a coach for the Oilers, and pretty famous down in Texas. And we're getting beat the first half, so I figured, well, we're going to go in and Bum's going to make some changes at halftime, and, and so the defense is a little more effective against their running game. Well, we come back out, and nothing changed, and we're still getting beat pretty bad. So I'm standing on the sidelines, and our defense is in the game, and I'm, I'm talking to Craig. Craig's offensive lineman, and I don't know what we're talking about. And all of a sudden, we look up, 
and one of their tailbacks breaks loose and is running down the sideline. Nobody close to it. And all of a sudden, there's this hellacious tackle right in front of me. And I look to the right, and Craig's missing. Craig made this great tackle from the sideline. <laughs> they gave the kid a touchdown. I thought Coach Stanley, who, like I said, was tough as nails, was, was going to chew a hole in his head. He, that was something. Nice. That was quite a, quite a memory. Cool. Uh, last one from him, and then I'll turn it over to you. Um, ask about your friendship and relationship uh, that you have with uh, a late, great Olympic gold medal track and field star, Jesse Owens, 1974. Oh, I got a chance to meet Jesse Owens. My team doctor at Oklahoma State was a, a mover and a shaker. He was with Arnold Schwarzenegger and the, and the uh, president's fitness, uh, whatever it was, committee or whatever it was. But um, he had made a lot of friends over the years and had, had gone to the Olympics, and he knew Jesse Owens. And we, we went to the, uh, what was it, the Fiesta Bowl. And uh, evidently, Jesse at the time lived there in Phoenix. And he came over to visit, and he talked to the team. I got a great picture with, with Jesse, quite, quite a gentleman. Awesome. Yeah, that's what he mentioned, you know, the Fiesta Bowl. And he actually got him to come in as a keynote speaker for a dinner. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's cool. That's back when, you know, you went to bowl games, you actually won a lot of football games. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a little different, right? Um Jesse Owens, connection to Arnold Schwarzenegger, looking at your Wikipedia page, uh, looking at your journals and publications, professional meeting presentations. I saw one that's anabolic steroids. Did that come from Jesse Owens, or are you just into that? No. you got to remember, I've been doing this for quite a while. And yeah. Back in the 70s, all the scientific studies says that anabolic steroids didn't work. Now, on our football team at uh, Oklahoma State, there were some kids that disproved that fact. <laughs> and the thing was that all the studies were done, and they were because they were on human subjects, you had to give the amount of anabolic steroids at the prescription level, okay? Mm -hmm. Well, these football players weren't taking prescription level. They were taking 10, 20, 50 times the yeah. amount of the prescription, and it was working. <laughs> these, kids, these kids were putting on a lot of muscle and and and, and that's where the, the ncaa came in and started some some testing yeah yeah no doubt i've been uh listening to rick flair just got done with the hulk hogan um podcast with uh joe rogan and this is definitely a different different time all right that's it i uh, turn it over to you uh story time I, I, I thought I'd mention something about the NCAA. Okay, go for it. I have, I have never been a fan of NC, the NCAA. Okay. Because it always seemed like they were a day short, a dollar, dollar light on the things that they were trying to work with. And the problems that the athletic trainers had for years, that seemed like they would show up after the trainers had been dealing with it, and they'd send you a letter and give you all these things you had to do. They always had more work for them. Anytime I got a letter from the NCAA, it, it meant more work for me. It seems like regulatory agencies have a tendency to do things like that, and it's usually reactive, right? And thinking back, and, and you know, concussions are, are, are a big topic nowadays. Yeah. 
Well, back in, in the 60s and 70s, we treated concussions with a lot of seriousness. It was, we knew it was a severe injury. And we talked about it as actually having a bruised brain. The brain sits in the fluid in the skull. And when you hit something, it bounces around. And we realized that that that, that was a severe closed head type injury that we had to treat very carefully. And it seemed like in the 60s, I don't, I don't know if you'll remember this, but football helmets used to have a suspension system in it. It looked like the... Uh, army uh, helmet with a suspension system and then it kind of went to a padded system then it kind of went to an air system and it's kind of gone back and forth yeah the suspended one sounds like it's just like oh banging up <laughs> it was something I, I can remember at north dakota actually sewing some of those things together to fix them it wasn't a lot of protection at all yeah and actually having the, the plastic dent or break. But, um, of course, with the rule changes now, I'm trying to get the head out of it with the tackling and things like that. I, I think they've had some success with the rule changes. But it, it always bothered me. It made it sound like that the sports medicine end didn't take concussions seriously. And I think we treated them wisely back then. And I don't know if we treated them a whole lot differently back then than we do now, except that, that it gets more publicity. <clears throat> yeah, that that whole suspension helmet thing—it's kind of like the argument in boxing versus uh, MMA, UFC, where is the is the boxing worse on the head because of that pad strike versus just bone to bone type of strike, um, <clears throat> small pad. Um, what are your thoughts on CTE? You know, Junior Seau. Um, that, that really concerns me. What concerns me most is that they feel like a lot of it is through smaller concussions and through a lot of repetitions of having concussions, not necessarily big ones. Yeah. Because what, in my experience, what I found was sometimes kids would get dinged, what we call just a little bit, and they would have more symptoms and have trouble recovering more so than the athlete that got actually knocked unconscious. Yeah. So I think the repetitive hits to the head, that that's kind of scary. And I, I like the idea of keeping younger kids out of contact until a little later when they get in their teens. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't know if those, with those rule changes, the NCAA, and I don't know how successful I would have been uh, without being able to use my head. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, um, you know, definitely probably agree with you. It's the right thing. It's just not as fun to watch anymore, but it's healthier probably. Um, yeah. So it's gotten to the point where I don't understand all this portals and transfer rules. It seems yeah. to me like we've ruined college football with that. Yeah, Bobby Doyle will know more. Jeff Lenarbor as well, probably. Um, but I'm not a subject matter expert on that topic. Um, so, yeah, tell from the beginning, who's Doc Fair? Yeah, back in high school, all my friends uh, went out to play football. And at the time, I was about five foot eight, about 114 pounds. So I, I took a, a home course from Kramer's Chemical Company, the, the company that actually made that sprained ankle arthrosis I talked about. 
And when I t got time to go to school, they were interested in actually giving me a, a book scholarship if, if I would be a student trainer at Kent. So I worked as a student trainer there and learned a lot from you know, watching uh, my peers and also the, the professionals. And in about 19, oh, I'd say it was about 1970, it was the first national test to be certified as an athletic trainer. This was about a three-hour written test and about a two-hour practical exam to see if you had the, the book knowledge and, and the ability to take care of athletic injuries. And, and I think that's when athletic training came out of the area where the guy carried a bucket with a, with a ladle in to give the kids a drink of water if they were lucky enough to get that. And the distance we've come from the 1950s and now is just amazing. I mean, uh, Man, so many people be dropping if that were the case. It, it was just amazing the precautions and the knowledge we have now uh, taking care of our athletes. I honestly think that probably the best medical care that Tony Haybear had in his life was when he had, was on the football team. <laughs> because I got in trouble a few times because Navy medicine didn't quite understand uh, college athletics. They thought the Naval Academy was a military installation, and it was hard to get across that you guys had to be ready to play on where where the uh, orange and gold, I mean the blue and gold on Saturday, get ready to play. So it, it took some education on my part to get uh, to uh, get military medicine, Navy medicine, to kind of catch on to that. Gotcha. Well, who comes next? Who was the team doctor when you were there, Tony? Do you remember? Tagnia? Maybe. What a great guy. I kept track of him. He, he went to Seattle and had, uh, was an orthopedic surgeon up there. And somehow he got a gig at being a, a, the team doctor for the uh, Powder Puff uh, women's football team. I <laughs> <laughs> um, so wonder how that transition went. I don't know, but probably not very well. <laughs> gotcha so uh next in the story well the, the newest one is i've been nominated for the national athletic trainers association hall of fame gotcha and that's it's it's reserved for people that have been innovative in the field done a lot to advance athletic training and when i was at, at oklahoma state i uh I started the Oklahoma State Trainers Association with the athletic trainers in the state. And the Speaker of the House actually lived in Stillwater. So I convinced the athletic director and the legal counsel at Oklahoma State to let me invite the Speaker of the House to take a football trip. It was actually to Iowa State. And I talked to him on the plane all the way up. I had him watch what we did as the athletic trainers taking care of the team. And I talked to him all the way back. And when I got back, he told me to contact his legislative assistant and have her draw up the uh, Athletic Training Licensure Act so that athletic trainers would be licensed in the state of Oklahoma. And we got that passed, and I believe it was 1981. Pretty proud of that fact that the stories the other states have taken, taken years to get something like that through. Yeah. I guess I guess it really helped to have the uh, Speaker of the House there in Stillwater. Yep. 
into dragging along to one of the games. Awesome. Cool. So, yeah. oh, um, Oklahoma State, any f- cool memories from that that stand out to you, like, throughout the, all those years, like, funnest time? or uh, I'll give you an example. You talked about my nickname being Doc Fair. Doc Fair. So it's all one word. And the reason that it started to be all, it was Dexter Manley. Dexter Manley used to call me Doc Fair. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know. Are you familiar with Dexter? No, I'm not. Dexter Manley was probably the best defensive back in pro football in the college. Nice. He played for the Washington Redskins. He probably would have been as famous as some of the running backs like Barry Sanders and Thurman Thomas that I took care of if he hadn't had some problems. Gotcha. Barry Sanders. Um, I don't know how much you guys know about Barry Sanders, but he's a fine young man. Yeah, Dallas Cowboy. Barry Sanders. Yeah. Right. Barry's with the Detroit Lions. Oh, he was Lions. I thought he was a cowboy. Uh, was Detroit Lions. Oh man, I'm way uh, off. I would have ten. Pro Dion, my bad. I would have ten pro scouts practice to come to watch him practice. Bit of a transition there, going from Oklahoma State then to uh, Naval Academy. Well, there's a reason I did that. What was that? Things have started to change, and the type of athletes that they recruited there, and because of the way the setup was, is that the coaches would go out and recruit and basically leave the team with me uh, when it was off season, and I was everything from the disciplinarian to uh, trying to find out why they're not going to clean name it, and I had to deal with a lot of that, and I had an opportunity to go back to sort of my roots with the military and uh, mentioned I went to Annadale High School and that's not too far away from the Naval Academy. Yeah. And I can remember coming up for a track meet one time in the uh, uh, indoor track there in uh, what was it? I remember stepping outside and thinking what, what a great place this was. It would be a neat place to work. And that was when I was about 15 years old. So it kind of came true. Awesome. Cool. Um, you mentioned your, your father was in the military, West Point grad. How was that for you growing up? I'm thinking West Point back <laughs> then, you know, from a disciplinary standpoint, it's probably spot on. Yeah, my dad was, uh, he, he went to the prep school and went through West Point in three years. It was, it was right during the war graduated in 1946 and uh, I was an only child for about seven years and uh, it was back then the housing was horrible for the military the officers had to live off post and get whatever they could find and and uh, dad was a true West Point graduate he was spitting polish and uh, he said uh, uh, True, uh, fine officer. What uh, what did he end up doing? He uh, started out in the artillery. In fact, we went to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, where he was uh, learned to be an artillery officer. And then they sent him to uh, grad school at Berkeley. He got a degree in uh, some kind of nuclear biology of some kind, and he ended up being a, a chemical corps officer. And uh, when we lived in Annandale, he actually worked at uh, 
Oh, um, what's the uh, Fort Belvoir? Yeah. Okay. And uh, I never knew what he did. He couldn't. He never said what he did there. One time, I went to pick him up, and I, I drove our second car that didn't have a post sticker on it. And I drove up to where his office was, and two MPs grabbed the door, yanked me out of the car. Nice. Come to find out years later, he was teaching people how to run a nuclear reactor there at the facility. I must have been a pretty sharp guy, though. Cool. Um, well, so, at Navy, um, let me go ahead. I got some rapid-fire questions, kind of like I did with Duman. Okay. Um, favorite class? Gee. You know, there were 18 of them. I figured out one time that almost had 10,000 football players and 520 Division One football games. Yeah, so you've seen it all. And I really have, would have a hard time picking out one. I, I have to say, I feel close to the 2015 because they were nice enough to uh, make me a uh, honorary member of the class. Uh, can I tell you a story about that? Yeah, go for it. Uh, you know, Paul Johnson's famous for <laughs> some of his offhand comments. Yeah. And I remember watching graduation on TV one time. In fact, I almost like watching graduation on TV because I could see what was going on better. So I'm watching it, and all of a sudden, near the end, they said, now we have uh, two or three was honorary members of the class. And they panned over and looked. There was Coach Johnson. They made him an honorary member of the class. And I thought, what an honor. I mean, holy smoke. I mean, could you ask for anything more than that? And the following week, I saw him, and I said, Coach, I saw you at graduation, and I said, what an honor to be a member, an honorary member of the class. And he went, ah, uh. <laughs> that was his comment. Yeah. He kind of yeah. blew it off, but that, that's the way he was. Like, oh, no big deal. Yeah, okay. On to the next one. Yeah. Cool. Um, how about who spent the most time in the training room? Oh, boy. Maybe it was Daryl Hill. You know Daryl? Uh, a little bit. Met him a couple times. Linebacker. Daryl Hill was one of my favorites. He uh, he played way above his ability, and he, he was a, a really a tough kid. And uh, military life and, and a lot of the classes he took uh, kind of drove me crazy. And I would sit there and uh, tape his ankles, and I'd say, Daryl, how's that chemistry class going? <laughs> and he would just go nuts. I mean, he would just go absolutely insane. Yeah, to calm him down. That was one of my worst subjects, for sure. Um, how about hardest worker, hardest work ethic? Someone that stood out to you? You know, that's the one thing that endears me to, to the athletes we I had at, at Navy. They all were hard workers. They were all hard nosed, and they all played above their ability. And the one thing that Paul Johnson always impressed me was he got more out of his teams than I worked for Jimmy Johnson in Oklahoma State than, than Jimmy Johnson did. So it's kind of hard to nail down just one of them. They were all gotcha. all stuff. How about a favorite game? All beaten. Uh, uh, Notre Dame first time that was cool nice I love that about a favorite bowl game oh 
Okay, I got a great bowl thing. We go, we go to play Missouri. I forget what bowl game it was. Texas Bowl. Texas, or something like. yeah. Texas Bowl, two thousand nine. Right, and as you know, being Oklahoma State, I was in the Big Eight for you know twenty years, and uh, we played Missouri every year. That was this great, great conference. So I go down there. I, I knew a couple of the assistants, and I said, "How you guys doing?" Always. Before the ball game, you know, if you guys get a guy hurt on my sidelines, I'll take care of him and stuff like that. And they're sitting there kind of kicking the turf. And I said, what's up? He says, oh, he says we were hoping for a better bowl game, but we're here, so we'll play. Yeah, maybe that's what gave us an edge that day. And I looked at the guy and I said, you better tell your kids to put on their jock straps tight. These guys are going to kick your ass. And I backed up and looked <laughs> at me like that. After the ball game, I went over there and they're hanging their heads. <laughs> Yeah, that was it. That was a, my favorite one. Awesome. Yeah, I gotta love it when they come in and and that type of tone is. That's beaten Army fourteen times. Yeah, there you go. Funniest coach. Oh, it had to be Paul Johnson. <laughs> Dry humor. I'll, I'll tell you a story about but that I've told some of the other kids. Uh, we had a fullback that had a little crack in his fibula, which is the small bone in the lower leg. And so I talked to the doctors, and we had a plan. I was going to make a pad. They were going to give him some medication and stuff like that so he could play in the Army-Navy game. And I explained it to him, and I said, you know, I said, it's real important that we kind of keep this between ourselves. You don't want anybody else to know it, because if Army finds out, the first thing they're going to do is their linebacker attack and shoot for your life. Yeah. He sat there and listened to me. He walks out the door, and I hear him in the locker room, and he goes, I got a broken leg. <laughs> so anyway, we go through the whole routine, medication, the pad, the whole bit. He gets out there, first series. He takes the ball. Uh, Army uh, linebacker comes in and breaks his other fibula and his other leg. He's now yeah. got two broken legs. Nice. Didn't see that one coming, I guess. The thing about that is that's how I got an x-ray machine for the train here. Nice. Yeah, sometimes it takes those types of circumstances to get what you need, right? Um, how about last one, the oddest pregame ritual that you've ever oh, I'll tell you what drove me crazy, Tony, is we had a bunch of kids back in the uh, 97, 98, 99, that everybody would throw up before the ball game. Oh, man. It was unbelievable. What happened was we'd have a couple kids that were nervous and would throw up. Well, yeah. I've never you, done that. As soon as you get one throwing up, everybody else started gagging and they're throwing up. <laughs> that drove me nuts. It finally had died out. Thank goodness. Gotcha. Cool. Um, switch it up a little bit. What? What's your take on, you know, seeing different types of recruits come in under different coaches, different recruiting methods, you know, your time there? Um, how was that experience? Well, you know, when I started out with Charlie Weatherby, he was the coach when we started out. And we had almost 200 guys on the football team. And at, at Oklahoma State, you're only allowed to have 105. And I remember a coach saying – I want everybody to know the players' names. And he was talking to the coaches, talking about their players. 
Well, there was over 200 of them. And a lot of times when kids would come in, I'd say, are you a football player? Because <laughs> yeah. obviously we had wrestlers and other kids come in. But uh, recruiting, it was, a, it was it's a tough thing in the Naval Academy. I think it takes a special young man. And one of the things that really amazed me when I, when I first got the Academy in 97 was, I would ask them, why did you come to the Academy? And the answer was to play Division One football, which kind of surprised me because, you know, I thought they'd say to become a Marine pilot or a Navy pilot or, you know, I thought they would say. But, uh, yeah, the recruiting was hard. I mean, they literally would have to go to a school and say, who is your best, smartest football player? And uh, the thing I heard a lot of, which I'm sure drove the coaches crazy too, is they would go into high schools and see a foot, high school football coach, and they would say, I've got a guy that can play for you, which means they're not good enough to play for somebody else, but they can play for you. Yeah. We had, had a lot of that. And then my other misconception was I thought all the football players that came to Navy were going to be pretty much injury post-operative free. They weren't going to have surgeries. They weren't going to have, you know, problems. And we did. We had a lot of kids come in that had ACL repairs. They had, uh, you know, plates in their arms or legs, things like that, which, which made it difficult. Gotcha. Because you were right, dealing like as they before they came in. Before they came in, so you, okay. well, I was dealing with damaged goods before we even had first practice. Gotcha. Goodness. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Um, how how's the culture changed over time throughout your tenure at Navy? You know, the thing that I remember. Uh, when Charlie Weatherby was there, I would, uh, for Thanksgiving, I would go over and buy two meal tickets at King Hall for Thanksgiving dinner. And Carol and my wife and I, we, we'd go over and have Thanksgiving dinner with all the kids that were there because the, they weren't allowed to go home. They were on uh, double, what we used to call double secret probation. What they, what they call that when you weren't allowed to leave the yard yeah on restriction that's what i was trying to think of i got you there you go okay i thought you were saying that's that's what it was called at that time but yeah on restriction gotcha each table had a dozen seats and we would fill up a whole seat with the restrictees and my wife and i would have thanksgiving dinner with them and the thing that changed quite a bit was i saw that uh plebe summer wasn't as tough as it was when i got there in 97. Yeah. And the other thing is, we had very few kids that were having uh, trouble in the hall. And I don't know if that's because of our officer reps were doing a, a better job, but uh, and I was pretty proud of the kids for that. I mean, as you well know, uh, keeping things straight in the hall and playing Navy football, that's a tough combination. Yeah. So as time went on, it became a little more scattered. I think it was... I don't know, kind of accepted to, to be a little bit of a rene renegade there in the hall a little bit. And, uh, and today I think it's, it's, it's better to be a leader and uh, stand out in the hall than to be a renegade. I gotcha. Gotcha. 
right. Um, talk about funniest coach. Did you have a, a favorite uh, other type of coach experience? Oh, there's tons of funny things that I can think of. I don't know. It's hard to come up with one. Um, I always got a kick out of Charlie Weatherby. Charlie Weatherby was one of my quarterbacks at Oklahoma State. And uh, when I interviewed here, uh, of course, I'm not quite sure that he suggested I take the job, but uh, Mr. Lingle hired me. And Charlie, it used to be we'd have a pep rally on Thursday night for the Army game. And we'd go down the end of Farragut Road and we'd have all the, the big bonfire and all of the Evergreen was there. And Charlie would get out on the stage. And when he got on the bus to ride from Ricketts Hall down to the end of Farragut, he would always hang up a shirt in the front of the bus. Couldn't figure out what it was for. But he would go he would go out in front of all the mids in the brigade and scream and yell and rip his shirt off and then come back on the bus, put his new shirt on, we'd go to Philly. Cool. He was uh, Charlie was a good quarterback. Good stuff. Um, what's been one of the biggest challenges in your career other than Navy medicine and dealing with King Hall? I think the biggest thing was, was the hours. Hours. I remember one of the players said something to me, and I said, have you ever come over here when I wasn't here? And he said, no. And at Oklahoma State, I would put in oh, about 10 hours a day probably. But here at the Naval Academy, I had to be here at 06 and wouldn't go home until probably 8 p.m., something like that. And that really wore up. That's, that's a long day. Yeah. And as an athletic trainer, you're not sitting down that whole time. You're up giving treatments, you're taping ankles, you're in the storeroom, you're going to meetings. And uh, yeah, I think that was the hardest part, being sleep-deprived. Gotcha. Because you know, as a midshipman, you guys were lucky to get four hours. I think I was living on about five. Uh, I usually got at least six to eight, I think. Yeah. It just depends on the day, right? Like, where's the demand and take advantage of the days you don't have it. Right. Uh, how about your, your, the favorite thing about it? Um, you know, what did you really like about it? If anything, I'm guessing there was something. Of the of my career, yeah, of career. Oh, I think the greatest thing in my career is is dealing with the athletes I had. The neatest thing was I never had to grow up because gotcha. I always dealt with eighteen to twenty two year old. <laughs> okay, in, in Peter Pan mode. I, I, I want you. Well, you've been in that training room. I want you to imagine here yep. we are with all these all these <laughs> teenagers in there, right? You never had to worry about not having a joke lined up. Oh my gosh! And some of the some of the discussions and, and were so funny. Every, everything from girls to politics. And, and the thing is, sometimes I wondered about the kids at Oklahoma State about how smart they were. Sometimes the, the midshipmen were were gullible, mainly because they were told to you know anything I said they were supposed to take. Us. And somebody was talking about marriage. And they said. He said, uh, you know, I wonder how, you know, what, how old you should be when we get married. And they were talking about, you know, 
25, 30. And when the kid says, Doctor, how old were you when you got when I was 20? They said, oh, well, I was pretty young. I, I said, yeah. I said, my wife was 14. <laughs> it got real quiet. They didn't know whether to laugh. They yeah. didn't know what to do. It was so funny. And then Dee Jones was in there, and she starts laughing, and the other assistants are, and it was, it, they just howled. Yeah, you got to help me get Dee on here one day. Uh, well, cool. How about today's biggest challenge? You know, you got to remember that my job was periods of uh, kind of boredom. They're watching practice to to uh, almost terror or something really bad went wrong. And I had to adjust to things being pretty calm all the time. And I've always liked to make things with my hands. And uh, I've got a wood laid down in my basement. And my wife used to say she could tell how the football team was doing by how many bowls I would make on, on Sunday because the more depressed I would get, the more bowls I would make. And it was good therapy. But uh, they said it's things have slowed down quite a bit. Gotcha. To just to slow down and got it. I still walk several times a week with uh, one of my chaplain friends. Gotcha. When we traveled, uh, everybody had roommates. And nobody wanted a room with me, and nobody wanted a room with the chaplain. So I always ended up with a chaplain. Nice. So I ended up with uh, quite a few chaplain friends over the years. Good deal. I don't, you don't remember uh, Chaplain Owens? Oh, had him on here already. He, we, uh, yeah, we uh, we just did another group session, and he was in on it. It was, it was pretty good. I think it's the did next one coming him, up. Did you ask him about his book? Oh, yeah. In the, in the first one, we talked about his book a lot. Yep. Read the first two pages. Okay. We'll go back. It, it's, it's got me in there and talking about going to see Coach Johnson, see Coach Paul Johnson. Yeah. Um, this one I was just thinking about. How about the biggest team, like, suffering event or uh, disciplinary event during your time there? Oh, I think in Oklahoma State, some of the things that we, we were put on probation twice, and that was really tough. <clears throat> it was because it was uh, recruiting violations and things. Gotcha. And uh, it made me think not too long ago about this deal where they're allowing uh, players to be paid for their image. And, and I, I, I think I read where Oklahoma State was given, were giving their – their athletes $3,500 above and over the cost of, you know, fees, tuition, books, and room and board. And uh, now with this uh, image thing, you know, you get your quarterback has uh, got his picture down at the pizza store downtown, and they're giving him four or $500 to do that. I think it's really going to breed some discontent among the teams. Yeah. If, if I'm a alignment down there with the snot and the blood and the and my quarterback is back here dancing around making money at the picture in the pizza place i don't understand where the ncaa thinks a lot of that ought to come in yeah i uh i recently watched the a documentary on johnny manziel i don't know if you've seen that it's on oh, netflix yeah. that's kind of a crazy story but 
some people might figure out how to do it anyways with the rule intact, but that's where the probationary thing comes in. I don't know. It's it's a hard one to to figure out for sure. Um, I really enjoyed playing in the Big Eight Conference and this thing with everybody changing conferences every year. Just yeah, you know, it's different. I would have a hard time naming the conferences, much less who's in them right now. Yeah, it's all about the all about the Benjamins. <laughs> I mean, the Big Eight every week you are going to play a tough team. If you were in the top four in the Big Eight. You were pretty good. Yeah. How about uh, the biggest team? When I mean team suffering, team discipline, like when the when the whole team had to run, when the whole team had to do something. Yeah. Is there a certain one that stands out there? Paul Johnson. My phone rang. It was just about lunchtime. He says, "Doc, get your stuff and get out on the field. I'm gonna kill him." <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> And I'm going, be prepared. Oh my gosh, what's going on? So I go out in the field. He's got them lined up in the end zone. And evidently, it was one of those things where you vote for uh, the, the uh, Rip Miller Award for the most outstanding plea for <clears throat> the spring football and most improved or something like that. And somebody wrote something stupid down. I forget exactly what it was. Was it Ricky Bobby Doyle? That's what it was, and it just just off Coach bad. He was bad, and we. I remember. You're. I was there. there. I'm out there. I'm going. He really is going to kill him. <laughs> yep. That that was sorry. And there there wasn't anybody to help me. I was there. You know, all my staff was gone. I'm just standing. It was that was at nighttime. It was something. Yeah. Gotcha. Is is there anything else in your story that you want to share? Oh, I don't know. Like I said, I think the the Navy Brotherhood means a lot to me. The highlight of my day is going down there and, and seeing the kids at the uh, at the uh, tailgate. And gotcha. <laughs> I I love seeing uh, them walk up with their their wives and their kids. And I follow them on Facebook a lot, and I'm sure you watch do Facebook too. And I, I see the guys that got pictures, and they're in the Navy and traveling around. And then you see a picture of them with their fiance, yeah. And then you you see a picture of them with their fiance and a dog, and then all of a sudden you see her fiance who's pregnant or a baby, yeah. And uh, you just love to see that that transformation of a kid, you know, from a young kid that you knew as a teenager basically developed into fine young family man and yeah, so proud of those those guys that uh, come on and uh, do a great career like nice that. i know a small I, group when i talk to them at the at the tailgate they'll introduce me to their wife i'll say well it's very nice to meet you i said you realize i took care of him before you did yeah <laughs> good stuff i uh, i know a small group of the class of 10 guys are going to try to make the air force game there in Annapolis this year, so hopefully I can make it. We'll see what happens. Well, I, I hope so. I'd love to have you there. The tailgate is, is a fascinating thing. I mean, they've got players that you know that played 20 years ago to the guys that just graduated. It's, it's a fun time. I made it to my first one of those um, about a year, well, I'd say a year ago, of course. It was last year. It was right before I kicked this whole thing off. Um, it, was, it was very impressive. It was cool. Um, 
Last one, what's your price of admission? Well, I was thinking about that too, the stuff you sent me. Was that I was thinking it, it 43 years that I was uh, an athletic trainer. I had 43 years of two days. Now, you've been through two days. They don't have two days anymore. They call it campus. They're allowed one practice a day. <clears throat> but two days is, I would think of it a lot like boot camp. I mean, it is tough. It's, it's a tested survival. And I think the uh, fact that going through that with so many young men and finding that that those kind of two-day practices were survival is the biggest thing, really takes a team and knits them together. It's much like you guys have and when you do your plebe summer. Things are tough. You pull together. You help each other. And uh, I think back and I think of some of the most successful teams that I've worked with have used the two-a-days to pull together and coalesce into a, a really good team. Yeah, and I think two-a-days is the price of admission. And since you've gone through those, I think you may understand that. That's awesome. Uh, you mentioned your wife's name. I, mean, I forgot to write it down. What's your wife's name? It's Carolyn. 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 Yeah. That's it. My, I had a aunt named Carolyn. We, so, we actually dated in high school. Awesome. That's a, that's a long journey. <laughs> it was, she's very understanding. I mean, good for you. Uh, the joke was, uh, I told her that when the kids could talk to me, let me know. <laughs> right. Because I, I left before they got up and when I got home, they were already in bed. It was, it, uh, wasn't, I wish I had had more time to, to spend with the kids. I think that's one thing I did miss. Gotcha. Well, cool. I, really... I did have a lot of teenagers. <laughs> How many? The teenagers? Yeah. Well, all the football players, probably about 10,000. Yeah. 10,000? I think that's, if you add up 105 or 120 football players a year at Oklahoma State, then about 200 a year here at the Naval Academy. And then you, as they rotate through it, it's probably pretty close to that. It's a lot of kids. Well, uh, we appreciate you. Um, you know, I hope, hope you keep on uh, making wooden bowls. I'd like to see what one of those looks like. You got a sample near you? Got them all the Nice. What kind of wood do you use? Um. Sometimes out of my backyard, sometimes I buy it. I bought a, a piece of, uh, what do you call it, tiger wood, which was almost $80, and it really turned out to be a beautiful ball. Tiger too. wood. Yeah, it's, it's uh, kind of a striped, really pretty. Gotcha. Cool. Well, man, appreciate the well, time tonight. Let me show you one of my prized possessions. Hang on. All right, yeah, let's see it. Is it? Yes. This is the uh, game ball from the 2014 Point Celia Bowl nice. that uh, Coach Nehemiah gave me after the game. Cool. It was my last Navy game. 
Last last season, last game, game ball. Awesome. Well, yeah, like like I said, uh, appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for getting on. Uh, I'm sure this will be good for a lot of folks. Um, yeah, I'm in, enjoying it, and you know, really happy to have you on. Well, I appreciate that. I I, I think a lot of the players that I see at the uh, tailgate. They always expressed to me that how much they appreciate the time and effort the athletic trainers took to take care of them. Yep. And uh, I think we did a pretty good job. Everybody stayed safe, and, and we had uh, some, some great wins, some dissipating losses, but uh, it was a great brotherhood and a, a, a good thing to be part of. Awesome. Long days and two-a-days. <laughs> well, yeah, you remember two-a-days. They were tough. Oh, yeah. I, do we have time for one more two-a-day store? Absolutely. This is when uh, in uh, Ricketts, they decided they were going to take the dormitory that was above and make offices. Yep. And that's where the football team stayed. And, and they had beds up there, and it was air-conditioned. It was very convenient. I mean, you just go upstairs and come back down for your meetings and things. I heard stories about that. They tore it, tore it up. And uh, so they were going to put the football team in the eighth wing. And I, I went to the coach. And I said, you know, I said, that's fine, but that it's not air conditioned. I said, we're going to take our kids out, practicing twice a day, have them lose 10 or 12 pounds of fluid, and then stick them in the dormitory over there at eighth wing and have them sweat all night and come back and do the same thing the next day. I said, we're going to have kids dropping like flies. This is a healthy. I'll just drink some juice, fruit juicy red. <laughs> well, what I did was. I was always pretty famous for thinking out of the box. I said, what I'd like to do is to go to Ollie's. Ollie's is a discount place where they have stuff that was like overstocked or things that didn't sell and they buy but in their stores. I said, I want to go to Ollie's and I want to buy, uh, oh, what was it? I think it was 60, 60 windy window air conditioner and put them in the windows there at eighth wing so the guys will have air conditioning during two days. Oh, my gosh, you'd, you'd think I would. Everybody just went nuts. You can't do that. You know, we had to get uh, permission from the soup, the commandant, everybody on the sun to put window air conditioners in the windows. And then the AD, had, we were talking about a fairly good expense. I mean, you know, 60 air conditioners wasn't cheap. They about $150 a piece or something like that. But two days before, uh, two days were the start. The, uh, one of the administrators came down to see me. He says, hey, come on. We got the trailer. We're going to go pick up those air conditioners. So that's what we actually did. We got air nice. window air conditioners and put them in the hall. I was going to ask, did, did it get approved? And then by the time it get approved, it was summer over. But you answered that. So. Well, everybody thought I was crazy until we did it. <laughs> nice. Pick it outside the box. That helped. Well, I'm sure... Sleep, you know, sleeping in it, and uh, that was before uh, Bancroft was air conditioned. It was just just sleep in your own sweat. It was horrible. Yeah, I was one of the I was one of the lucky classes that had AC. <clears throat> so, yeah, I used to complain about that, and to get even, they put the air exchanger right outside my office. <laughs> gotcha. Well, cool. Appreciate your time tonight. All right, Tony. Uh, I thanks for getting on. Yeah. Any uh, any fan mail they can send directly to you, I guess. Awesome.